podcasting from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, known as the City of Bridges. This is Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, conversations of influence and change. I am your host, Christy Knights, C-suite executive coach, expert witness, psychotherapist, professional speaker, and best-selling author, the revolutionary leader in business and life. My name is Christy Knights, and I am the founder of iRise Leadership Institute and a psychotherapist in private practice. Boy, do I have an amazing guest today. I cannot wait for you to meet a dear friend of mine. My dear friend's name is Leon, and I met him just a few weeks ago, and he really just rocked my world. He is an incredible man with an incredible story that will change your life. So, Take a seat, relax, enjoy our time together as you get to know Leon. Welcome, Leon. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Christy. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. I appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, Not a problem. So talk to me a little bit about where you're at now, what you're doing, um, and how you got there. I guess I should start with how I got here. Uh, I'm an Idahoan by nature, and and therefore I'm kind of out of place everywhere I go unless I'm in Idaho. So uh, I brought my family out here, uh, and recently I've uh, taken uh, interest to be able to help uh, achieve what you are uh, achieving, and that is breaking stigma around mental health, in particular around suicide. Um, since that is something uh, I have dealt with most of my life. Wow, that is so powerful. What has prompted you to really want to work in this area? You said that you have been suicidal in the past yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I was bullied as a youth uh, quite a bit, actually. Um, It had a lot to do with my health. I had uh, had some struggles with uh, weight issues. I had been the uh, skinniest kid in my class until about third grade, and then I had a thyroid issue is what they told me, and and, uh, I blossomed, if you will, into being the second heaviest kid in my class within a year and a half. So um, Mm -hmm. I dealt with uh, all kinds of uh, issues from that. Uh, Friends changed. Friends came and go. Usually the friends uh, weren't friends and and were just after what they thought they could get from me. And so it just kind of uh, led to a a lot of of just name-calling, general neglect, that kind of thing. Yeah. So share with me, about how old were you then? Uh, I would have been probably around eight or nine. Wow, you were so young. Yep. How did you deal with the bullying at that time? I retreated a lot. I uh, um, gained a stronger relationship with my own mother. I, uh, um, she, she understood what I was going through. She had had uh, issues in her past, and, and uh, she was uh, always there for me to talk to and to reason with. And um, in a lot of ways, until she passed away in 2009, she was kind of where I uh, always had to turn to. Mm, okay. Were you able to turn to the school? Um, to the school as in where I'm at now? Or to, yeah. Oh, you mean to, to when I was growing up? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would say pretty much no. I, I had really good teachers. It was a small uh, town, um, about 1,200 uh, people total. So mm-hmm. uh, they all knew me pretty well, and, and uh, I guess they just 
assumed that I was handling things or that my parents were doing a good job of it. And um, I just kind of uh, went through the motions. Uh, it yeah. wasn't until I was in high school where a, an actual guidance counselor kind of uh, um, befriended me and helped me out a little bit and get through a uh, high school. But yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say that the school did a whole lot up until then. Okay. Okay. That's unfortunate. And we see that often. I think it's still uh, partly an issue today in the schools, although we do have many more anti-bullying programs. I think oftentimes schools do not know how to handle suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation, or the stressors that come with a child who is being bullied or the bully themselves. So, you know, that was at eight or nine. When was the first time that you experienced having thoughts of suicide? Um, well, when I was a freshman in high school, I had been uh, planning um, on following in my dad's footsteps. He had a grocery business, and it was actually uh, um, one of the, the strongest uh, businesses in the area um, for many miles. It was just under West Yellowstone National Park, so it was in a great area, too. And uh, he had three business uh, men and, and with him. And uh, they owned about 51% of the stock. And about the time that my father was about to purchase um, to own a major share, they all, uh, they fired him. They ganged mm -hmm. up on him and fired him. And uh, mm -hmm. so he uh, got to sit on the sidelines, not manage his store anymore, and watch as it uh, became um, in the red, like almost immediately. Because, again, yeah. it's a small town. And uh, so... I saw him suffer through a, a lot of massive mm -hmm. depression. Um, I, of course, was going through my own because that was going to be my livelihood, I felt, after I left school. So right. uh, just a lot of things disrupted then and okay. uh, didn't help that I didn't have a whole lot of people to turn to. Right. What were some of the symptoms of depression that you experienced then? Um that's similar to what my father was going through, just a whole lot of crying, a whole lot of uh, just uh, hiding from from um, from within and, and from without. I just, uh, it, it was easy for me to start to uh, determine my own path was going to have to deal with uh, alcohol and drugs, which is something that was prevalent in the area. Mm -hmm. um, and it was fairly easy for me to, to join in. And so mm -hmm. I did. And that was just to escape everything else. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one of the ways that you were coping was through through alcohol. And yeah. then what was the first time that you were considering suicide? Oh, gosh. Just about every time I drank, it seemed like it was uh, wow. uh, in, in my mind. Um, yes. There was a lot of times I just didn't want to come out. It was uh, easy to just want to stay there, laugh a lot. Um not feel the hurt, the uh, pain, and it was just easy to want to just not wake up from that. Absolutely. And most often, as you know, in your research and your studies, which we will get to, mm -hmm. people who have suicidal thoughts or attempt suicide oftentimes don't have that desire to die just to escape the pain. That's true. Yep. That's what I hear you saying during that time. You're just looking for a way to get, escape that pain of depression. Yep, that's exactly it. When did you begin to recognize that, yes, this is depression and I need help? 
gosh, it probably, uh, I, I don't know. I, it was such a blur. I, I would say that from probably around age 14 till age 23, it was pretty much just reckless behavior, reckless living, doing whatever I could to mm-hmm. avoid anything. Um, often it was just uh, moving from place to place, just avoiding home. Uh, the hometown I grew up in and uh, so I mean it took me from Vegas to Boise uh, to a couple semesters at University of Idaho where all I did was partied there and Mm -hmm. I mean like I said it was pretty much just wasted years for a long time. Okay looking back on those years what did you learn about yourself? Um well, obviously, I've learned uh, in particular that uh, running away from a problem doesn't ever solve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it becomes, uh, actually, it becomes part of you, and, and the problem becomes what defines you the more you run away from it. And uh, I, I can't say that it was easy to mature past that. Uh, it was something that I think it took a lot of uh, intervention, probably the chief intervention beyond my parents was when I met my wife. So that was, oh, yeah. uh, that was huge for me. Absolutely. How old were you when you met your wife? Uh, I was about 23, 24-ish. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah, we got married when I was 27, and, and uh, I, at that time, had made commitments that I was not going to uh, pursue the, the drinking and the drugging anymore. Uh, it was something that uh, we were both set on and, and uh, that has been actually very, very helpful to me um, to not have that to run to, but it has not stopped the, uh, the issues that I've had, of course. Right, right. Okay. So that relationship for you with your wife was really pivotal in your course of healing. Yes, yep. she has been uh, pretty much everything to me. How long have you been together now? Uh, we just celebrated uh, 22 full years uh, um, just a few uh, months ago, so we've been together a while. Congratulations, that is amazing. Thank you. Through those years, were there other times that you had thought about suicide or attempted suicide? Um, not for a long time. We had uh, five wonderful children, all from Rexburg, Idaho's uh, hospital, and uh, oh, yeah. five tries for uh, a girl and five boys came along. And, and uh, <laughs> wonderful. We, uh, yeah. Then I started having struggles with the uh, career I was in. I uh, followed mm-hmm. my grandfather's uh, charge and got into the United States Postal Service, and I thought that was going to be. Um, my answer for everything. It was going to be the career. It was something that he had uh, done for 25 years, and I felt like I was following in the best uh, uh, feet prints I'd ever seen, so I thought I was doing wise. And uh, Unfortunately, uh, around 2000, maybe three-ish, uh, uh, that started to fall apart. I started having issues with a new postmaster, and Mm-hmm. Um, there was just so much clashing going on that eventually uh, my wife convinced me to move out this way, and uh, we did that in 2007. Great, great. What was that move like with a family? Um, it was actually kind of a lot of hope. There was, uh, for me, it was hope that uh, I was avoiding um, a, a demise in a career. I thought that maybe just 
that would be a simple solution. Um, obviously, it also had some other uh, semblance of uh, reason for us because my kids were not getting very much uh, mental health out there uh, help as well. Um, we have two children that are uh, um, on the autism spectrum somewhat and uh, one that is diagnosed bipolar. And so we, we felt like this would be also a better area for them in re receiving services, and it has been for sure on that. So. Oh, that is wonderful. So five children, what are their ages today? Uh, well, uh, they go from 12 to 20. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a parent who deals with a child with mental health. Yeah, yeah, definitely do. How have you been able to manage your stress around that? Um, well, again, I give uh, pretty much a predominant uh, share of the credit to my wife. Uh, mm -hmm. she's, uh, she chose to stay at home. Um, mm -hmm. That was her choice. And, and I've always told her that she, would, uh, she will serve the world wonderful as, as she decides to, to return. And she, she has. But uh, while she was with the children, she definitely helped, uh, helped them through a lot of their trials. Of course, the stresses of moving, coming out here. Uh, a lot more bullying out here than even what we experienced out there, and oh, wow. at least at least the uh, the uh, mental health services and the wraparound and things like that have been uh, um, monumental in, in helping our kids along. Yes, so reaching out for services and surrounding them with services has been really useful for you. Yes, it has. Has any of your children struggled with? anxiety or depression? Um, yes, the, the bipolar uh, um, child, my middle child, uh, has, um, he's, he suffered probably the most. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of people, when they look at him, they see uh, uh, a lot of me. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so there's been always that clash. There's, uh, oh, our, our relationship probably of all of the five children has been the, the one that has had the the hardest uh, ups and downs yes. um, but yeah for the most part uh, for the most part it still has been a, a process that I think has helped him out wonderful wonderful and I'm sure you having your history and your history with your dad you brought into that relationship knowledge knowledge that many parents don't have and how to cope with the life experiences of someone with bipolar disorder. Yes, that's true. How have you risen from a place of darkness to be able to experience joy in your life? Mm. Uh, well, a lot of that has had uh, to do with my faith. Um, I have a uh, very st uh, staunch faith that, that, uh, that has been given me from my parents, but uh, I've chosen to follow suit and learn on my own. Um, just uh, realizing that uh, we can be broken, but yet uh, it's all uh, an achievement at the end, that we, we overcome and, and uh, there's something worth overcoming for. And so for me, it's been just having the knowledge that everything is just for a season. Yes, yes, and you're your faith, being able to keep it in perspective and then having that faith, it sounds like it has just been an anchor for you. In what ways do you use your faith on a daily basis to help and support? Uh, well, that's uh, funny you should mention that because uh, a lot of times I can, uh, I, 
I'll, I'll be just thinking about something I've read or something I've learned in the, in the past, and it will take on a whole new form. Um, the other day, I was thinking about uh, a parable that uh, I had remembered for, for the longest time, and it was always it had always left me with some kind of a, a an odd feeling and that was the parable of the talents where mm -hmm. uh, where the father had given five talents to one two to another and one to a third and I'd always thought well I'd always stopped there I'd always thought that no no good father would do that uh, mm -hmm. no good father would give five and then two and then one right. um, and so I was thinking about that a couple nights ago and and all of a sudden it just like uh, it hit me what if this is actually what we make of life what if uh, what if the person with five talents literally is just given a lot more opportunities uh, pursues a, a lot more opportunities and just is successful with those um, what if that person with two has a few uh, less opportunities maybe grew up in a, a lower status area and what if that person with one um, just never saw themselves as having much and decided to hide it, um, such as a suicidal person uh, hides hides uh, everything that they're about so that they can avoid the onrush of feelings that, that come with it. And so a lot of times we just persevere, we pursue, and then we still end up suffering. Um, but uh, one, th one of the aspects of it is, is if you, if you don't hide yourself and if you manage at the end it sounds like uh, you'll receive everything that uh, the five and the two received so just don't hide I absolutely love that I think that is so powerful it gave me chills Leon thank you so much for sharing that insight and that wisdom thank you yeah I love that application what are some of the common myths that you've experienced with your diagnosis and if you could share that with our audience too that would be great um well for one that uh they, they think that you'll just somehow uh um snap out of it uh, as if it's just gonna end um that is probably one of the first things that uh that we deal with um as we learn we have some kind of a, a disorder or or a challenge if you will uh we feel like it's just something that perhaps we just wait it out and, and it's gone. And, and that's, of course, not going to happen. It's uh, something that's always there. It's kind of like your friend or your enemy if you choose it one way or the other. Um, and so there's that. Of course, the, the biggest thing to me has been the stigma that surrounds it. Uh, there's just so much of a lack of compassion that comes mm -hmm. from a lack of talking. Uh, people just don't want to deal with other people's problems. Mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, when we have, we, we tend to forget those that have not. And uh, those that uh, have not are, are oftentimes ones that just want to get along in life and want to be friends and, and do the best they can. But it's hard to do that when you have uh, so many less opportunities often. Mm, yes, that is very true. That is very true. So can you share with the audience the diagnosis that you've struggled with? Um, well, I when I was with the post office and when I finally uh, suffered my uh, my mental breakdown in 2008, um, it was in effect. As I look back, it has definitely 
been proven to me that it was a post-traumatic stress disorder. However, uh, because I was in a federal institution and because it was uh, much better to make me look worse than, than they, um, I was diagnosed uh, agoraphobic by their doctors, and so mm-hmm. that okay. made it uh, that made it sound as if I was completely cracked and broken, and yeah. it wasn't something that was caused from within. Right, right. How did you feel hearing their diagnosis? Well, I didn't understand. I mean, I'm I'm used to uh, the idea that agoraphobia means that you're scared to go out, and right, right. Uh, for me because I've since learned that uh, I'm on the autism spectrum somewhat mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. uh, it would make more sense to go to the realms I'm just not, uh, I, I'm socially awkward. I'm just awkward around people. Okay. Um, and so it's not that I fear going out as agoraphobia yeah. would be. Um, I don't have a problem with the challenge of going out. I just have a problem with staying out sometimes. And mm-hmm. So... It just didn't resound to me. It seemed like right. it was more of a, a another slam, another thing that uh, would put me down. And yes. So, then yes. I suffered another mental breakdown two years later. So. Mm, okay. What impact did that label do to you over the next two years? Well, um, for one, it wasn't. It, it was rel- It was relentless. It was like I was gripped by uh, something that I couldn't change. Uh, mm-hmm. I felt like um, they had won. I felt like uh, everything about uh, what what used to be the the common joke in the post office. I I know it's morbid, but the whole going postal thing was yeah. kind of something that would be joked about. And for me, I've I've looked back on that, and it was always for me going postal meant I went inward and uh, not outward. It, yeah. I was not a threat to anybody but myself. And, and so uh, it, it, it added to that quite a bit, which is why there was no, uh, no end to it after 2008. And so uh, that's when the pills came along and that's when the first suicide attempt and, and the first hospitalization after my 2008 one. Mm, okay. So what led to that? attempt um well all of that miscommunication going on in my own head for one um which obviously clouded over every conversation i had with the people that weren't trying to convince me wrongly Um, my wife uh, and i had several talks and and i think i just misunderstood things Um, i was in a place where it didn't matter what people were saying it just was filtered the way i needed it or thought i should and uh, pretty soon that just led to a really awkward moment where I, I chose to uh, swallow a lot of uh, cyclobenz, benzoprines and, and uh, woke up in the hospital and, and allowed them to move me on. Okay. What were your thoughts as you swallowed the pills? Um, well, that people would be better off not uh, seeing me continue to fight. It seemed like I was more of a burden. Uh, it seemed like mm-hmm. I was just uh, some somebody that was never going to come out. So it was better for them not to to have to deal with that aspect of me, which is it's it's shameful because it it is totally totally the opposite. It's just uh, mm-hmm. all you're doing is is adding the worst kind of burden. 
really appreciate your vulnerability and your authenticity as you share with us. As you know, I compiled a book of 35 authors who shared their story, much like you're sharing yours in print form. And the common thread is what you just said. The common thread is each person felt as if they were a burden. Each person felt as if everyone around them would do better without them. But as you have just shared, that's the farthest from the truth. It's totally the farthest from the truth. In fact, as I'm, I'm still uh, looking forward to the uh, the book. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I purchased it while I was down there in Butler, and I can't wait. It's it's uh, it definitely sounded like something I would uh, probably mark up and and uh, have beside me quite often because uh, it's easier to relate. I think it's easier mm-hmm. to 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 feel the kinship of others, and uh, that that sounds like 35 people that I can certainly relate to. Absolutely. Absolutely. We just received the box of books on Saturday, so you can be looking in the mail this week for it. Sounds wonderful. Yes. Yes. And I think you'll see that you are equally as brave as each of the person in the book, um, the authors. So you had said that you went on then to attempt suicide two more times? Um, actually, uh, I, I attempted one other time, one other and time. Uh, it, it was it was where I was caught uh, with a plan is what it was. So I didn't actually get to fulfill it, which is probably good considering Absolutely. this was going to not be pills. This was going to be an actual knife. So okay. yeah, I, I had started an ideation. I'd started uh, um, dwelling on a, a certain knife that uh, we had in the house. It was a uh, pretty color blue and, and it was real easy for me to focus on that being the one. And, and uh, so uh, I was caught in the middle of that, and that's a good thing because that's when f- I finally hit uh, the bottom, if you will, and, and uh, that's that's when things really did change. Okay. So through those struggles, how did your wife support you? Well, um, well, she wasn't about to uh, play any games. She she <laughs> knew that yes. uh, it was out of her out of her uh, expertise. She's never. Mm-hmm. She's never uh, been one to shy away from getting help uh, um, for me, and, and uh, she's usually the one that takes me. She doesn't just expect me to leave and go. She she mm. walks me to wherever I need to be, and, and uh, that has always been uh, part of the symbol of our equality is that she just doesn't leave me. She, she never will. Wow, that's amazing, and that's so powerful and beautiful. Yeah, wow. I agree. Just having that unconditional love and care. What would you say? You know, how has your mental health impacted your marriage? Um. Well, to be honest, I think uh, to a certain point, I could say it's been uh, strengthening. Um, mm, I love it. Yes. It's uh, it's one of those things that um, I. We, we often have joked, and I, I, ho- I, I hope that I'm right when I assume other couples think about the days when they hear the words for better or for worse, and we, we often have joked about uh, certain things as being those, those for, for worse moments, and, and uh, that kind of just puts them into perspective. It, it reminds us that there is the, the end, the outcome that we're looking for, um, which we want to achieve together and, and be together and... and uh, so it's it just it's about perspective and i think that she has been such a a strong perspective in my life that uh, i just i can't ever give up anymore yes yes 
And how has your mental well-being affected your parenting? Um, well, it's, uh, of course, meant to several clashes with the, uh, with the one, as I've mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> um, however, with the others, they all see me as, as you have mentioned several times, the vulnerable and, and uh, the, the one that uh, while I'm broken at times that I, that I still care and that I, you know, am still around. That, that I can give a lot of uh, thanks, of course, to my faith and to my wife, but the fact that I'm still around means that they still have somebody that they can go to and pretty much say just about anything to, and I'm going to understand mm -hmm. the depth of their emotion because I'm there. Absolutely. Yeah, and you can be very unconditional and real with them as well. Yep. So as you are on the journey to healing, what are some roadblocks that you've encountered? Um, geez, just about everything has to do with one P word and that's politics or policy. Mm -hmm. Seems like, uh, whether it's, um, about mental health, all of the things that we have had to fight for throughout the decades, even the, the century, um, just getting some semblance of ability to, um, to receive help the way we should. Uh, and even then it's still only, um, a fraction as to where we need to be with that in this country but uh, gosh I think that the biggest thing has been policy and the policy makers they just always seem to to yeah. be out for themselves they're the haves and and we're the have-nots and often we're just reliant upon them to do the right things for us and okay. unfortunately it's not always happening mm-hmm yes that's definitely been a roadblock how have you worked through overcoming it uh, a lot of times it's been just bashing heads. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Taurus. I am bullheaded. Uh, so when I'm at my uh, peak, at, at uh, the strength that I can mm -hmm. have, um, oftentimes somebody's not going to uh, pass one by um, without me with my big picture view, uh, set of eyes seeing what they're really after. And uh yeah, that's meant a lot of issues in my life, of course, but uh, in this particular instance, it means that I can be a, a, a decorated uh, student and mm, yet, yeah. uh, still have to stand my ground and say, you know what, being a student isn't worth all of this. Mm, absolutely. So you were a student. Where are you a student at? I'm a student up here at Penn State, Shenango. Wonderful. How's your experience been as a student? Uh, with students, faculty, and staff, it has been uh, probably the the epitome of heaven. Um, yeah. I, I've I've absolutely loved cracking the books open. I've loved achieving more than I ever had before. I used to be a B plus average student, and I used to think that was amazing. But mm. I've been pulling straight A's semester after semester. I'm a three point nine six GPA as we currently yeah. uh, as I currently am. <laughs> And uh, I think that I've, uh, I've pursued the right things. I've pursued sociology. I've pursued mm -hmm. things that would keep me culturally wise and sensitive. I've pursued uh, pretty much anything that has to do with adolescence because everything to me is about um, making sure others don't step the same um, fine lines that I had to. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And what is your major? Uh, human development and family studies. Wonderful. And what would you like to do with it when you graduate? Well, I'd like to graduate first, but uh, <laughs> yes. um, it, it, uh, 
it would definitely be a an opening i've uh, thought of three different ways i could go with it i've thought of the education path that i had been on back in the mm -hmm. 80s um yeah. feeling like i had the ability to talk to people um i've looked at uh, uh two other options one of course would be uh, any kind of social work or or uh one-on-one um, -on -one counseling therapy that type of scenario mm -hmm. and of course a uh, a few other options one would be guidance counselors but I've, mm -hmm. I've looked into that and that's just an actual total difference from the way it used to be it is yes it's very administrative <laughs> yeah. and then of course that brings me to policy and that's uh, that would that would be where I would have uh, possibly tried to pursue political science oh, okay yes very good very good. So share with me, if you could write a thank you letter to someone, who would it be? Wow. Well, if you don't mind me saying so, it would definitely be to Jesus himself. Uh, um, I love it. Uh, he, has, he has been where I'm at and, and everywhere else. Uh, he's been where everyone's at. And, uh, of course, none of that was deserved. That was all chosen. And that was all something that he was willing to do. And so uh, I would have to, to recommend him for any position in the world. Uh, <laughs> yes. what, an amazing, what an amazing feat to, to, to love unconditionally and openly like that. And so mm -hmm. my, my, my first letter would definitely be to him. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And can you share with the audience what has kept you going and surmounting each of these challenges in life? Um, wow, I think I saw it once on a, uh, on a movie, uh, you, you wake up and then you, um, wake up again and then you just continue. Um, can't remember the movie, but I remember just sitting there going, wow, that's really profound mm -hmm. and deep. That's kind of what you do in this life, yeah. uh, until you're done. It's kind of like enduring. You just endure it. And, and uh, for some reason, it's always through the endurance that you end up stronger and wiser and helpful and and all of those. So as much as we hate to go through the trials, it's, it's what makes us who we are and the better, the better version of that. Yes. Yes. So if someone is in your place experiencing the stressors of life with a diagnosis, having suicidal thoughts, what would you say to them today? Um, well, easily I would first start out by saying I care. Um, that's first and foremost. They need to know that uh, that what what their truth is and what their experience is, no matter how much I've been there, um, it's still going to be through their set of eyes and through their principles. And, and so, my my um, answer is only theirs if if they see the reasoning behind it. So, the first thing I have to do is see them where they're at, and that is, uh, you know, their experience is valid, and. What, I, I just want to learn. I, I, at that point, it's please tell me about that experience. Please share your story. Please open up and and just it, it's it's almost like a relentless love. You just want to just open up and 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 even open up your eyes and let let the tears flow uh, because oftentimes it's when I've seen the eyes start to cloud over and film up that I felt like I was being hurt too. So. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Is there other details of your story that you feel it's important to share before we wrap up today? 
Well, I would first plug the the, the movie. Um, I went to that movie a couple weeks ago down in Butler, and I'll tell you what, uh, um, you weren't kidding when you said that uh, it would change lives. That uh, I, I saw um, probably one of the uh, best facets of that movie, um, the the um, ripple effect as being the fact that he gathered together every single person on all different climbs on all different continents and every single person had a different way to benefit the suicidal mind and it wasn't a competition i i've dealt with the uh, uh a lot of those places when i've looked on their websites myself and and i've always been impressed but i've always felt like in this society we feel like we have to compete at the end, when he is with, on stage with all of those different folk and, and the wonderful Aborigine uh, gentleman who I really relate to, yeah. I just absolutely love that. And, and it was just camaraderie. It's something that we all need more of, and especially with suicidal. Absolutely. And the movie you're referring to is the documentary by Kevin Hines, um, Suicide, The Ripple Effect. And it is really having truly a ripple effect across um, the globe. And that is where you and I met. And I think that you're right, that feeling, that sense of camaraderie, that feeling of belonging, we just won't have that enough. And I think we definitely felt that in the theater as well. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. It was powerful to be there. It was. Very good. So what makes it important for you to share your story today? Um, well, first and foremost, I was invited to. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think uh, I, I should uh, expect anyone to listen to me unless uh, they choose to. And it should be an invitation. And that is one of those things I, I saw. Um, from, the, from the moment I started to update my LinkedIn account, I, I saw a face on there that reminded me of my mother's a lot, and I started following, and then I attended a, a special movie premiere. I got to know that person, and, and I see why the the feeling was just right. It, it's, it's worth following up on what you feel, and... Uh, I just see a lot of uh, of what you you are able to accomplish and what you are accomplishing, and you know it's it's kind of hard to not want to just be, be part of that movement. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your story. You are truly a hero. The globe will hear your voice, your story, and know that they too can crawl out of that place of darkness, shine, and serve and give back. And so I am so grateful for you, Leon. I'm so grateful for your life and all the lives you will touch in the future by your survival. That's what I'm hoping. That is, that is everything right now. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Again, my name is Christy Knights. I am your host. Every story saves a life. Thank you for listening to Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, Conversations of Influence and Change. Each show, we bring you a guest of revolutionary influence by living a life of nobility, courage, and authenticity. To meet other knights of the round table or to be a guest on this show, go to christyknights.com. Join us next week as we cross the bridge to meet the next knight to join the round table of revolutionary leaders of influence and change. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.